Menlo Church is all about Jesus and making Him known, anchored by the Word of God. A hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. A thoughtful community, loving God with all our mind. A family being spiritually formed together. It's who we've always been. When you know who you are, you know which direction to go. If we've never met before, my name is Adam, and I'm one of the pastors here at our church, and I'm so excited to join you at our online campus. And hey, I know some of you uh, might have a tendency to skip past the musical worship part of the service, uh, but I want to let you know that a couple of weeks ago, our worship and our tech and our production teams put in a long 12-hour day to create this beautiful worship uh, content just for you. So uh, I want to encourage you to stop listening to me for a second and rewind and go back to the musical worship part if you haven't yet and participate in that Uh, because uh, this is one of the values of our church. We believe as we worship, we have a greater understanding of who God is and what he's done for us. Now, speaking of values, that's exactly what our series is about that we're in. We're looking at values that Menlo Church has had over the years that we want to cling to. Last week, we looked at the value of our church being founded on the Bible. And this week, we're going to look at a value that's been around our church since the 70s. And here in a little bit, I'm going to show you why I have this ladder behind me and how it connects to this value. Now, to start our conversation, I want to ask this question. What kind of people does the world value? In other words, uh, who is the world for? Now, as I'm recording this today, uh, the Giants and the Dodgers are in this epic playoff battle. And uh, I I have some baseball pictures of me. I used to play baseball some. I want to show you and I want you to see the progression of me as I grow through these pictures. So now this first picture that you'll see, uh, this is the guy you just want to give a hug to. Uh, This is the guy who has no idea how to play baseball yet. He's just happy to be a part. Now, the second picture, uh, this is what I'd call the awkward face. Uh, You remember the awkward face. It doesn't matter how much acne medicine you use. It's not going to matter. It doesn't matter how many hours you spend in front of the mirror trying to work on your smile. It's not going to work. It's the awkward face. Now, this third picture, this is the one I mostly want to focus on. This is what I'd call the tough guy face. See, by this this time in my life, I had been taught or maybe I had intuited who this world was for. I had begun to realize this world is for winners. You can see in my face, I understood this world is based on performance. I was showing a face of being a winner. I mean, if we're honest, this world, right? This world is for people who wake up at 5 a.m., their hair already looks great, and they make a keto shake. They put on their Lululemon pants that they look great in. Then they video themselves doing meditation and yoga, and they send it to their 3 million followers on Instagram. This world is for people who graduate from Stanford in two years, and in their spare time, they start a nonprofit, raising money for endangered slugs in the Redwoods. 
This world is for those who have hundreds of people reporting to them. They crush emails on vacation and their crypto investments are going through the roof. It only takes one look at a magazine rack at a grocery store to see who this world values. The famous, the beautiful, the rich, the successful. This world is performance-based. It rewards the high performers, the achievers. This world is for winners. Now, what's interesting about this picture of me is on the outside, I appeared to be tough and prepared. I wanted to look like a winner. But the reality is on the inside, I was insecure. I was scared. I was anxious. I was afraid but I knew I had to appear on the outside to have it all together. The problem is in this world, we have to appear to have it all together. On the outside, we have to appear to be winners, but you and I, we know the reality. On the inside, we're a bit of a mess. And so today we're going to talk about this question. If the world is for winners, then who is the church for? What kind of people should the church value? And today we're going to look at one story from Jesus where he talks about this value for his kingdom and the value for our church. Now, this story uses rich imagery of those who are high up and those who are down low, which is why I have this ladder. And we're going to use it to tell the story. So Jesus, he sets up this story in Luke 18, 9 by saying this. And he says, to some who are confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. So we see from the beginning, Jesus is talking about some spiritual overachievers who looked down on everybody else. So he continues the story. He says, two men went up to the, to the temple to pray. Uh, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, the robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, and even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. So the first thing we see here is the Pharisee had achieved a ton. He had climbed many rungs of the ladder. And the people listening to this story by Jesus might've thought, oh, he's the hero of this story because of all the great things he's done. Now, the second thing we see here is the Pharisee stood by himself. Now, why did he do this? Well, Pharisees in their devotion to God would distance themselves from those who were ceremonially unclean. Their devotion to God, they would isolate themselves. They couldn't even associate or identify with these others. Now question, how many high achievers or successful people feel isolated in uh, their ability to appear to have it all together? They refuse to divulge their mistakes. Now, the third thing we see here is the Pharisee says, thank God I'm not like them. Now for us, subconsciously, how often do we think these same kind of thoughts about other people? Thank God I'm not like that person whose hair is disheveled and smells like alcohol. 
Thank God I'm, I'm not like that person who can't hold down a job. Thank God I'm not like that person who blew up their marriage. Thank God I'm not like those people whose kids are a mess. Who are these people for you? So we have to be careful when we think uh, and when we thank God for being not like them because that puts us in a higher position. Now the Pharisee uh, says he fasts twice a week. And so we know he's a spiritual overachiever because the Hebrew law didn't command this. God must be impressed with that. And he gives a tenth of all he has, announcing his tithe. So everybody might be thinking, man, Jesus is showing us an example. This is someone I can strive to be like. But now we see the other man, the tax collector. Now, tax collectors in the Gospels were an archetype, a representation of the lowest of the low on the ladder. These were the, uh, the guilty the ashamed, the deceitful, the seemingly beyond all help. They would have been viewed as the villain in this story. And so Jesus continues the story. And he says this, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He can't even look up. He stands at a distance for another reason, because of his brokenness. And he beats his chest, which is a symbol of mourning and disgrace. And he's so aware of his sin and his brokenness. He self-identifies as a sinner. He's aware of how low he is on the ladder. Now, Jesus drops the jaws of the listeners, as he always does. And he says this, I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves, who lift themselves up will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted and lifted up. Jesus defies the logic. The the tax collector is the hero of this story. This is the upside down way of Jesus. The exalted and the high runged will be humbled and the lowly will be exalted. Now, questions. Uh, who knew the Bible better? Pharisee. Who prayed more frequently? Pharisee. Who had better doctrine? The Pharisee. Who went to church or temple more often? The Pharisee. Who had a better reputation? The Pharisee. But here's the real question. Who was more aware of their need for God? Tax collector. That's why he's the hero of the story, because he recognized his brokenness and his desperate need for God's help. So who is the church for? The world is for winners. The church is for sinners. The world is for winners. The church is for sinners. More accurately, the church is for people aware of their need for God. Not people that encourage each other in their sin endeavors or long to keep sinning, but the church is for sinners who are aware of their need for God. One of our former pastors, Walt Gerber, uh, used to say it a little differently, and it became a core Menlo value. He would say, the church is not a museum for saints, but it's a hospital for sinners. It's not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners, and that's so beautiful 
often the church can adopt the values of the world. It can become a place of performance. Everything is awesome. I can't stop smiling. God is good all the time. And the church can become known for people who have it all together. But the upside down way of the kingdom, it's actually a hospital for people desperately needing help. It's for trauma victims who need surgery, people who are bleeding out from a broken relationship or gripped by addiction or reeling from a tragedy or steeped in depression. The world is for the winners. But this place, the church is for sinners, acutely aware of their need for God. So, How can we play out this value in our church? Well, first, we become people of humility. We humble ourselves. The brilliant theologian Mike Tyson once said, if you're not humble, life will visit humbleness upon you. Humility is the deep understanding that I don't have it all together. An understanding that my life is a train wreck without God. Another one of our pastors, John Ortberg, used to say that my life is a train wreck without God. And we understand that regardless of how happy they look on a Sunday or how beautiful they appear in a magazine, no one has it all together, even the Pharisee. The Stanford professor, Sherzad Shaiman, works with high-level CEOs. And one time he was gathered with a hundred of these CEOs and he had them write down on a piece of paper one secret of how they feel inside. Some of the the highlights of what they wrote down, uh, one person wrote this, I'm rarely at peace with myself. Someone else wrote, I'm feeling sad and lonely and the antidepressants I'm on don't seem to be working. Another one said, my air of confidence is false. And the last one, someone said, I often feel like a fraud. These are the top rung people. These are the people that have everything we could want, the house, the vacations, the car, and yet still they're broken inside. This is humanity. All have sinned. No one has it all together. So humility is the embrace of the truth, that I don't have it together. My life is a train wreck without God. The ability to say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. In this polarized world where we shout at each other on Twitter, we're confident that my side is right and the other side are the villains. Imagine a community of people that were known for humility who embraced not knowing it all, having it all figured out, or having it all together. That's the kind of community I want to be a part of. So we become people of humility and we become people of authenticity. See, the Pharisee stood by himself distanced from others who were unclean. And the more we pretend to have it all together, the harder it is to be authentic with people. I can't let them see the real me. Now imagine going to a hospital and you have intense chest pain and you're in the hospital room and the doctor knocks on the room to come check it out and see what the problem is. And you refuse to let the doctor in to diagnose the problem. The truth, of course, is no healing can take place unless you open up and you show the place of pain. 
Just like a sickness or a wound festers and gets worse without exposing it to treatment, uh, our sin grows when we hide it inside and we pretend we have it all together. The reality is sin grows when it's concealed. Healing occurs when it's revealed. Sin grows when it's concealed, but healing occurs when it's revealed. Healing occurs when we share our pain and our sin and our addictions with others. Now imagine a community of people that refuse to keep things hidden. Community that is healthy and flourishing because they share the weight and they share the burden with each other. Imagine a community that uh, instead of being known for condemning and judging others, was known for listening and caring. That kind of community would be compelling. So become people of humility and people of authenticity. Now, ladders and systems of hierarchy have always existed. The kings were at the very top of this ladder. And Israel constantly was finding itself at the bottom. And the prophets foretold of a day that one one day a Messiah would come and bring them back up to the top. There would be a conquering king. Then Jesus came along and Jesus did the opposite. He started at the top. He was the king of kings and then he climbed down. He humbled himself. One writer said he humbled himself to death. Not just any death, but death on a cross, which was a death reserved for the lowest of the low. The question, who was this death for? The same people that the church is for. For sinners. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. See, the world is for winners, but the church and Jesus is for sinners. And Jesus wants this place. He wants us to be a hospital for the sick and the broken. So today, we're going to remember this humility and sacrifice of Jesus in what's often called the Lord's Supper, where he invites sinners to eat and remember with him. So wherever you're at, I invite you to grab some elements and we're going to partake together. So on the night he was betrayed, Jesus sat at a table with his disciples and he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat this, remember me. So take your your bread or your cracker and just eat it and remember his sacrifice. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is the cup of my new covenant. It's my blood given for you. Whenever you drink, remember me. So take your drink right now and remember what he's done let's pray together. God, we thank you that this place is for people like us, people who don't have it all together, who don't have it all figured out, sinners desperately in need of grace. Would you remind us that it's not about performance and showing others 
how good we are, how much we've achieved. But this place is a hospital for the broken, the lonely, the hurting. God, we thank you for your grace and your sacrifice and your humility and your love. And would you show us how to be that kind of church for others? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.